The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Our scripture reading today is from Exodus 12, 1-13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, and shall make your, make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorsteps and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head and its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Thank you, Mary Linda, for reading that passage for us this morning. And it's good to see you all. If we haven't met, my name is Russ Ramsey. I'm the pastor here at Christ Pres Cool Springs, and we are continuing in this sermon series on the life of Moses. This is uh, part five of ten, so we're reaching the halfway point here. Um, and, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this passage. What I want to do is, is really focus on uh, this last of the ten plagues uh, and use it as a way really to talk mostly about the Lord's Supper, which we do every week here, which Jonathan has done such a great job of preparing us uh, to get into that. Seeing all the kids come up here, by the way, kids, it's great to have you in the room um, this morning with us here. We, we, uh, I love the sound of kids. I love the sound of kids being kids. And I remember being a kid in church. I was about five when my family started attending church. And I remember that experience being new for me. And there being so many questions about uh, what was happening, you know, because I didn't really experience anything like that. And, and we, were, we were going to a Catholic church at the time, uh, which I think it would be fair to say I'd just never been to anything even like that. 
uh, until I was a kid. The formality and the, and the ritual of mass and the, the standing and the kneeling and the sitting and, the, and all that. But the thing that was the most intriguing to me was communion, was the Eucharist, which they did every week. And, and, and you know, it's, it's just the centerpiece of the mass. And I remember the thing that I was so intrigued by was, was this. They'd hold up this wafer, now our, and, they, and it tasted exactly like this one does. Um, it's, the same, it's the same whatever this is. But, it was, but the one that the priest would hold up was, was about the size of a, a coaster. You know, it was like a big thing, and he would hold it, you'd break it, and he'd hold it up, and it would be kind of split apart, and, and, and these would be available. And I remember as a kid being so intrigued because kids haven't seen anything like this before right? There's no snack like this. There's no meal served that has bread like this. And, and so it was kind of this foreign thing. And it was real wine, but the kids took real wine. And the whole thing, it just, it was intriguing to me. It was fascinating. And I remember that as a, as a kind of a, a part. Here's what I remember about it. I remember associating this with church being a thing that involved some mystery, you know? That there, that there was something, even as a kid, I understood that there was something solemn about it, and I understood that there was something sacred about it. Even as a, as a five-year-old, as a six-year-old, I knew that there was special meaning in this. As I got older, I, when I became a, a believer on my, when I was standing on my own two legs as a Christian, um, I was a kind of Christian where I was all about authenticity. I was all about having a relationship with Jesus, and I was down with religion. It's all about having a relationship, and I was squarely in that camp, and and, and to the to the point where where I became highly suspicious of anything that smacked of ritual. Maybe you, you can relate to that feeling where you just feel like, you know, or I made the, basically what I did is I equated ritual with empty ritual. That if something is a ritual, it therefore must be empty. Now I've since grown to really appreciate and love ancient language. Uh, books of common prayer, oh my word. Uh, the Valley of Vision, that prayer book, the language that's in there is so helpful, so helpful. But one of the things that you just can't get away from is I'd ask the question, how could something so rehearsed, how could something so predictable have any authenticity? But, but when you look at the pages of Scripture, one of the things that you see is God is a God of ceremony. He gives us that. He gives us ceremony. He gives us rituals to practice, to solemnize by doing over and over and over so that we don't forget and he gives us ceremony to, to bind our hearts to things that are true, lest we forget them. And so there are really two of these that, I, that we're going to talk about this morning. The first is, is going to be the Passover, or one of them is going to be the Passover, the other is going to be the Lord's Supper. As a way of getting to that, let me start a little bit with the Lord's Supper and to say this, you know, Jesus instituted the Lord's table on the night that he was betrayed in the upper room in Jerusalem. This is familiar terrain, I would imagine, for most of us on the night before he went to the cross. He had his disciples gathered in an upper room, and they had this feast together. And one of the things that you know from reading the text of Scripture is that this feast fell on a 
the Passover. So it was during the Passover when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. What that means is, for the disciples in the upper room, it was a holiday that they had observed over and over and over again. They knew it. They knew it forward and backward. They knew what they were supposed to eat. They knew what they were supposed to wear. They knew what they were supposed to say. They knew what they were supposed to sing. And Jesus was about to turn that holy feast on its ear by giving his disciples a new way to observe what the Passover expressed. What is the Lord's Supper? The Apostle Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 11. It's kind of a hallmark passage for understanding the Lord's Supper. He said, the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, later, he took the cup, and when he blessed it, he gave thanks, and he said, this is my blood, which is given for the remission of your sins. Whenever we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You've heard me say those words a million times. No, not a million times, probably about uh, 150 times because we've been meeting for uh, almost three years. And I say that every week. And Jesus did this during the Passover. And what he did when he did that would have been shocking to the disciples. It would have been as shocking as if you were to celebrate Thanksgiving and somebody to say, you know what we want to remember with Thanksgiving has nothing to do with the pilgrims. And instead, it has to do with me. That's what he does. He basically says, you have an ancient past with this ceremony, with this feast, with this holy feast. And I'm saying, I don't want you to think about it in those terms exclusively anymore. But instead, what I want you to think about when you participate in this meal is me. Think about me. And that would have been shocking because what he's doing is he's reassigning the significance of key elements in that meal. Why did he do that? He did it because his presence there, what he was saying is he was marking the end of an era. History was about to turn a page and he was signifying that. He was marking the end of an era, the era that Passover had commemorated for all those years. He's about to turn this page by going to the cross and by doing so what he's going to institute is a new era. It's the one that we're in now. An era where we come to a table like the ones we've got here and we're given a piece of bread that looks like this, but only for a little while longer because we're gonna get back to that awesome bread that we used to have very soon, aren't we, Mary Linda? Yes, we are. Mary Linda makes that bread, by the way, so she will be the one to congratulate and say, yay! <laughs> but what he does here is he changes the meaning of it. And so to understand the era that we're in now, I wanna just walk through the Passover to get where we've come from. So in Exodus 12, the passage that we just read, this comes at the end of about 450 years at this point of slavery. Um, and the Lord is about to free the people of Israel from their bondage, so he sends Moses. This is all rehearsal. We've, we've talked about this these past several weeks. He sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let God's people go. He even performed wonders in the, in the presence of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh resisted. So the Lord brought judgment upon him in the form of 10 plagues. And the first nine were terrible. Things like the Nile turning to blood, frogs, lice, flies, livestock pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. But the first nine 
didn't move Pharaoh. And so the Lord sent the tenth plague, and it was the worst. It was the death of the firstborn sons. And before this happened, the Lord gave instruction to Moses for the people of Israel to follow. And they did this so that the Lord's judgment would pass over their houses when death came through. That's where the word Passover comes from. The Lord is passing over their houses as he is coming through in judgment. And so we find these instructions in the birth of a holiday in the passage that we just read. And here's what we see in that birth of a holiday and the feast that the Lord gave that Mary Linda just read for us. First thing that we see is that Passover was to be how they began a new year. It was the beginning. So they were to do this at the very the first month of the year to remember their deliverance from bondage. This was to be central to who they were. Second, every household was commanded to keep it. This wasn't an option. Everybody was to do it. If they couldn't afford a lamb, they were to team up with neighbors and they were to observe it together, but everybody was to do this every year. Third, they were to keep it throughout the generations as a statute forever. So there was no time when they would be done with this as far as they were concerned. And the fourth thing is they were to be very deliberate in telling their children about it. They were to tell their children why they were doing this, the story of God's rescue from their slavery in Egypt. And what that means, when you look at those four things, here's what it means. It means there's no ambiguity here for God's people. They are to be people who know that they know that they know that the Lord judges the wicked. That's to be part of what they know part of who they are. Second, they're to be people who seek refuge under the covering of the blood of a spotless lamb. That's who they're to be. They're to start the year knowing we're people who seek refuge under the blood of a spotless lamb, that that lamb, they, and, and, and that they take that lamb, I don't know if you saw it in the passage as it went by, they take the lamb into their home on the 10th day, they sacrifice it on the 14th day. That means they spend five days 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, five days. They spend five days with this lamb as a pet. Think about that. They bond with this animal. They have a relationship with the lamb. They were to wear the clothes of the afflicted. They were to understand that God's judgment passed over them because the lamb died for them. And they were to prepare the meal in haste and eat the unleavened bread with bitter herbs representing their affliction with their shoes on ready to flee. What this means is the ceremony is tying them all back to that first Passover that they're to understand that this is who they are. And do you see what this ceremony does? It takes every forthcoming generation, adds them back into the number of those who have been enslaved. They're to count themselves as among the afflicted. And consequently then, as among the delivered. This is their Genesis story. It's their origin story. If you're into origin stories, here's one. That's how God's people were to think of themselves. They were people delivered from bondage by the hand of God, protected by the blood of a lamb. The inescapable reality of this, and Jonathan talked about this as well, and Michael talked about this as well, is that it was bloody. It was a bloody affair. Now, when you're a kid, you're intrigued by rituals of worship. 
You, you observe them, you may not understand them, but you're intrigued by them. Imagine what this was for all those kids. Imagine those kids, because all the lambs were slaughtered at the same time. There's no getting around the blood. And so these kids are growing up with that iron-rich scent of blood in their nostrils, and they're connecting it to worship. That visceral experience. And they're connecting sacrifice to acceptability before God. And they saw and they heard and they observed the ritual every year growing up. It was ingrained in their hearts. I imagine an eight-year-old shushing a four-year-old when the four-year-old is talking and he's supposed to be solemn because the eight-year-old has just a couple more years on him and understands, right? But it's ingrained in their experience, it's ingrained in their hearts that the shedding of blood is connected to worship. Jesus brought that era to a close. He brought that era to a close. There in Jerusalem, thousands of years later, the disciples are gathered with Jesus in the upper room on the night before his death, and they're observing the Passover. And during the meal, the head of the house, in this case it would have been Jesus, is supposed to take the bread, and he's supposed to explain to them what it means. But he doesn't say, this unleavened bread is the bread that God fed his people when, when they were escaping from Pharaoh. Instead, what he says is, this is my body and you are to feed upon it for your sustenance and for your deliverance and he takes the cup which signified God's blessing upon his people and then tells them it holds his blood was this something new was Jesus just totally taking Passover and saying forget everything you know and let's start over again new meanings no in fact, what he's doing is not the opposite of Passover at all. Passover was meant to fuse the people's national identity to thoughts of bondage and deliverance through the blood of a lamb. And so it was intended to be formative for their understanding of their relationship to God, that they were a delivered people. And so that means that Pharaoh himself, well, he was a metaphor, he wasn't the ultimate symbol of tyranny. He was a metaphor. He was a metaphor for our true bondage to the tyranny of our own sinful hearts. It means that the exodus itself was a metaphor for the miraculous deliverance that we would require. Not one that holds back the power of the sea, but one that holds back the power of death itself. The spotless lamb, a metaphor a metaphor for the perfect sacrifice that we would require in order for the Lord's judgment to perfectly and eternally pass over us and rest sufficiently on the Lamb who took our place in death. That's what it was meant to be. And so Jesus in that upper room, he's bringing the advent of a new era He's saying you're no longer to identify yourselves primarily with the slaves in Egypt, 
treating their affliction as our own, nor as their deliverance as our own, but instead what we're to do is we're to identify ourselves with Christ and know that his affliction was for us and his deliverance from sin is our lasting deliverance. In other words, Jesus didn't disregard the Passover, he perfected it. And from that Passover on, he would be our spotless lamb. A perfect, lasting sacrifice, spotless, eternal. And the bread that sustains us on the journey to glory would be his body given for us. And the blessing of God would come on us by his blood being poured out like wine for our sins. And so Jesus tells this church, keep this ceremony, keep this ritual, keep this sacrament, make it central to your worship, tether yourselves to this truth. You who are prone to, rewind, prone to wander, remember, proclaim, remember, proclaim. Those are the two footsteps as we walk to the table. Remember, proclaim, remember, proclaim. That's what we're doing. We're remembering that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the era we're in now. You want to hear something amazing? Thank you. Thank you for the yes. <laughs> I feel filled up. Just as the Passover feast had an end, that there was an end of an era with that. When Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, one day, our practice of the Lord's Supper will reach an end as well. That that era will end. When this table that we come to will be replaced. And it'll be replaced by the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's why Paul says, whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death when? Until he comes again. This table is meant to awaken in us an appetite for something more, for something deeper. Just as the Passover did. The Passover was meant to be eaten in haste. It was meant to be a meal that was consumed in order for people to get out of Dodge, right? The Lord's Supper is a place where we come, you know, near the lunch hour on a Sunday and you get a little bit of carb and a little bit of sugar and your body says, let's do this, right? This table awakens a physiological hunger in us when we take these elements. Don't let that be lost on you. Something spiritual is happening there. The Lord is awakening in you an appetite for this to be replaced by a more sufficient meal. And the promise of the gospel is that's exactly what happens. We eat this bread and we drink this cup until he comes again. And so that's what we're going to do now. We're going to transition to the Lord's table, which is a perfecting of the Passover meal which was given to God's people to remind them that we need to be delivered, but guess what? We have a deliverer. That we need to be people who are covered by the blood of a spotless lamb, and guess what? We have been. And so we come to this meal, and we come for a while, but we won't come to this table forever, which makes it special, 
and also reminds us that we're in an era that will soon reach a close when Christ institutes his kingdom and returns. And so we come to that table now. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come to this table again and again to remember and to proclaim what it is that you have done for us. We're thankful for your kindness to us. We're thankful for your wisdom in giving us ceremony that you would remind us to return to things that are essential and true. And we uh, do this now. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.